Hey, hey, today we'll talk about Reddit, GameStop, Robinhood. Where is the boundary drawn for customer protection? Also, we're going to talk about Apple and Google crackling down on IDFA. And we're going to see some expectations for Super Bowl advertising and my thoughts on my first week on Clubhouse. All these and more on the Naughty Market Podcast. Stick around. Welcome back to the Naughty Market Podcast. This is the episode 11 from February 1st, 2021, and I'm your host, Alberto Lempira, aka Lempi. Thank you for joining me again, and if you're joining me from YouTube or any of your podcast service provider, please make sure to subscribe if you like the content. So today we're going to talk about several different topics that are has been in, in important in, in these past uh, few days. I have changed a little bit the concept, I mean, the idea or the concept between uh, between episodes for for the ones where I talk about news and the latest trends, uh, taking into account some of your feedbacks and, and suggestions. So what I'm going to do is that instead of just talking about many different news, I am going to handpick some of the most important news that I feel like are more re- most the most relevant for uh, marketing. And I'm going to give you my intake on that. I mean, my thoughts on this and do some kind of reflections. So let's just move into the first one. So this first news that we are going to talk about has to do with something that blew up uh, this week, but it has been in the making for the past uh, few weeks and the fact, I mean, the issue behind this has been in the making since 2019. And it has to do with a subreddit forum, uh, Wall Street's bets, that incentivated the the bet of these small traders, independent traders, to bet on stocks like GameStop, AMC, and BlackBerry uh, just to have a takeover of the Wall Street market. So this uh, made that in the past month, the the stocks, especially the stock for GameStop, has sh- shown an increase of over 1,000%, which is obviously nothing normal. And that made a, the famous uh, trading app called Robinhood to suspend the trading for those uh, actions, okay, for the, for the actions of those um, of those companies. So this was, uh, I mean, be, I mean, it became such a huge news that members of the U.S. Senate started to talk about, and the House of Representatives started to talk about how it was a double standard for uh, the Wall Street market that any time or every time they have they we, they they were being hurt. By uh, some situation, they cared about the cared about the rules, and whether when they were the ones taking advantage of the situation, they didn't mind the rules so much. So um, some things that um, some I mean 
this is this has many many different points of view. Okay, but the thing here is that you we we have seen many many different uh, relevant people talking about it. Obviously, uh, in the politics field, people like or like uh, representative AOC Alexandra Ocasio Cortez. We also saw uh, Senator. Gerald uh, Brown from the Senate Banking Committee, we, we, who is the, the chair of the Senate Banking Committee, talking about how this was a sh uh, the, uh, an example of how bad the stock market was structured in the, in the U.S. So why did uh, Robin Hood suspend the trading of those actions? So... It, it, according to uh, some interviews made by uh, CEO Vlad Tenev to CNBC, uh, he says it was in order to protect the firm and protect the customers. Okay, so comparing the recent surge in demand for a handful of stocks to the mass buying of um, Lysol during the pandemic. So this is something that they did because obviously. The price of the of the action of the stocks uh, were um, inflated. I mean, it, it was not real, and for that reason, it could represent obviously a higher risk to naive traders that didn't know exactly what was going on after that. Uh, obviously, this is like the the best uh, textbook definition of a bubble that has been created. In this case, what is interesting though is that. This whole movement was uh, was started on a subreddit forum, and it had such a repercussion that affected real life for real people. Some of them, obviously, uh, large scale traders in in Wall Street, were more. I mean, lost way more money about this than the than the smaller smaller ones. However. The thing that I wanted to reflect on here is until what point is Robin Hood the one to choose and make the decision for the user and the customer to know what is best for them? And this is a discussion that it could be in on the same line that what we discussed some some few weeks ago uh, with Facebook, Twitter, uh, Apple, Google doing some or taking some actions to limit or protect the content that was published on their platforms. Uh, I mean, it was obviously because of the, of the situation and the, on the violence that uh, it was uh, saw on the U.S. Congress and the Capitol. The thing here is that, at least for me, it's not so clear whether these companies should have the kill switch to turn them on and off, depending on whether and when they believe they're doing or they're making the right decision for their customers or their users. I know this is a conversation. I mean, we have to uh, do some research. We have to also listen to both sides of the aisle to, to understand a little bit more about the situation. But at least for me right now, it's not so clear that I mean, obviously, they do have the power, especially because everybody that has signed up to Robinhood has uh, accepted to comply uh, the terms and conditions of the service that they provide. 
However, I don't know if we are ready for uh, allowing all the companies that we have an, an account or that we have signed up to, to decide whether they should, I mean, to let them decide whether we should be able to do or don't do some, some or take some actions, right? So this is, I mean, this is the thing that I, I think boggles me the most about this news. And I don't know, I, I would like to know what do you think about this? So moving forward to the next news, uh, it has to do with the crackling down of cookies, third-party data, and right now, Apple's and Google decisions to kill off IDFA. IDFA is identifier for advertisers. So it's a way that advertiser had to be able to track the behavior of customer across multiple devices, okay? So that if you started to do some browsing on your mobile phone, your iPad or tablet, uh, and then you jump onto your uh, desktop computer for that matter, they could just keep the trace of where have you been. And this has been really useful for many of us marketers to track and to make the attribution of a conversion uh, to the right medium. And right now, because this is a very personal kind of tracking situation, uh, companies like Apple has been deciding that they are not going to allow to uh, third-party apps to gather this information from customers unless they have explicitly asked each user to give them permission to be tracked. So for this, Facebook has started to do some uh, movements, legal movements that would be uh, against Apple, uh, calling, I mean, they, are, they, they have even mentioned that this is a double standard hypocrisy kind of thing uh, or movement by Apple because they are just leveraging on the power that they have with their, with their user base to do some harm to companies like Facebook because they see on Facebook a potential threat in the future. So... Why is this important? Obviously, the first reason why is this, I believe this is important for us marketers, is because it's going to uh, make it more difficult for at least for us to be able to track the movements uh, and, and, and the different behavior that uh, the customer or the user may have on multiple devices. Uh, and that is going to make it more difficult for our campaigns to be tracked and for the conversions to be attributed to this to the right medium, but also uh, it has to do with transparency. And one of the courses that I teach uh, at the UPF Barcelona School of Management has to do. It's about marketing analytics and big data. And one of the things that I always keep uh, telling my students is that, I mean, a lot of users, a lot of customers right now are aware and concerned about the power of their data and how companies can use them either for their good or their bad. So I have always let them know that the best way to ask and to have the access to each user's or customer's data is by being transparent and to be honest on what can they get in exchange. So I'm just going to, I mean, I always use this example in cl at class. So 
let's say that we are Google Maps, okay? I mean, we are Google, and one of our products is Google Maps. Um, I'm going to ask permission for each user to let me know, as Google, uh, their whereabouts in every, in every moment, okay? So this is a very personal information. Obviously, this information is anonymized. I mean, this is something that, uh, I mean, it's suppo supposedly nobody at Google could uh, just pinpoint out your location at any given moment because it's going to be encrypted. It doesn't have to be necessarily uh, attached to your user ID on their servers and so forth. The thing here is that when the user or the customer sees a grade or a benefit in the exchange, I mean, I'm going to allow Google to know my whereabouts and every time, every moment. The thing here is that what I what will I get in exchange? Well, I will get that I'm going to be able to arrive on time uh, to any meeting that I'm, I can have. I'm not going to get lost when I'm in a new city or country. Uh, that I'm going to know uh, where to get to new places and to read some reviews and so forth. So all of those are going to be features that you can have some sort without giving away your uh, location. However, when you give your, your the permissions for, for Google to get your location every, in every moment, what is going to happen is that you're going to have a most um, a more enhanced experience. And I think that this is the key behind how you can ask for that information. So what is the Facebook's uh, main concern with uh, this Apple move uh, that is going to require to explicitly ask each user uh, on iOS devices or macOS devices for that matter, uh, if you want to track their data to being able to identify them for advertising purposes is obviously the perception that some people may have about and, and, and the stigma that some people may have about advertising and the advertising industry as a whole. So probably for us marketers, we see advertising as just our way of doing uh, making a living. And most of us hopefully do advertising uh, from a good uh, ethic and moral kind of standards. The thing here is that uh, the perception of the local, uh, I mean, the, the common user probably is not the same and they could be more uh, reluctant to allow advertisers to get access to more data about themselves. So this is going to be an interesting, an interesting debate and when I say debate, it could be it could happen in court, uh, sadly. But the thing here is that uh, what Facebook will have to deal with is to know how to adapt to these new standards and to these new reality and normality that not only Apple but Google as well is going to bring to the table. Because we have to also keep in mind that. This is going to be the last year of cookies and third party, I mean, third party cookies and for that matter, third party data uh, that we are going to have available for doing digital marketing. And this opens a Pandora box that it's going to unleash many things 
both good and bad for us doing uh, work on the marketing field. So that brings us to the next uh, news that I wanted to highlight. And this is going to be a short one, I would say. And it has to do with Walmart. Walmart, uh, a media group, has been rebranded to Walmart Connect in the in the hope that they are going to become uh, one of the main advertising business uh, companies in the U.S. industry. So why, why, why is that? Because we know that third-party data is not going to be available for us to use some platforms like uh, Facebook or Google or Google uh, for running advertising. So we, we're going to rely a lot on first-party data or first-hand data. And what is this? It, this is going to be the data that each company, that each uh, entity can gather from their users, okay? So obviously, I mentioned this uh, in, I don't, I, I don't remember if it was in the seventh episode or sixth episode, but I, 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 I talked about this. This is something that is going to make it really interesting for large organizations like Walmart, uh, Amazon, Target, obviously Facebook, Google, because they already have a huge database of information uh, from users. And this information, uh, it's first-hand data because this is data that we have given away to this company on a one-to-one relationship. Uh, for that matter, Walmart will have an enormous database of all the customers that they have, especially if you have a user profile on, 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 on Walmart's website. And this is going to be, I mean, it's going to be the same for, for every other large organization. So this is going to make it more attractive, attractive for them to use that information uh, as a publisher to lend space for doing advertising. So in a news from uh, Ad Age, the, um, the um, it says that Walmart's big plan is to become one of the top 10 U.S. ad businesses uh, in the U.S. Uh, in the next five years. So there you go. I mean, it's going to be inc- interesting at least. And one of the things that Walmart Connect will do is to leverage own properties like Walmart.com, Walmart Plus, and the Walmart app to create a holistic campaign for a holistic campaigns for advertisers. This is what Marketing Dive uh, said about this. Amazon is going to do a similar approach uh, and obviously it's going to belong to the top 10 of that industry. Uh, and they what, what they want is to create or to build an in-store experience through assets like TV walls and self-checkout screens. I mean, just to help gathering more data. Another thing that, I mean, one of one example that I, I always use in class in the same course of marketing analytics and big data with my students in, in the UPF Barcelona School of Management, it has to do with how Amazon, with the different new uh, initiatives like Amazon Go, Amazon Key, Amazon uh, five star, four stars uh, stores. I mean, all these offline point of sales that they have started to to experiment with 
This is something that is going to give them a lot of information about customer behavior, customer preferences, and it's going to be another entry point for more data to nurture the profile of existing customers and to create new profiles for customers that may not be uh, so engaged online. So this is exactly what Walmart is planning to do, just to gather and to improve the, the amount of data that they are gathering from their physical brick and mortar point of sales. And this is going to happen to every large organization. And when I say organization, because it could be, I don't know, it could be a, a large um, uh, conference, events, company. It could be obviously uh, large brands like, I don't know, like Nike, Adidas, Zara, uh, it could be for it could be the same for large um, department stores like I don't know here in Spain we have El Corte Inglés but we have Macy's we have um, Bloomingdale's we can have many many other uh, in the U.S. Also for large uh, supermarket chains I don't know like Publix and Ralphs and obviously um, Whole Foods uh, from Amazon. It's going to be interesting, at least, to see how this evolves. And my take on this is that this is something else that is going to be adding on to the uh, programmatic advertising field, okay? So how are we going to be able to be present or to take advantage of all these new space that we're going to get access to thanks to... Um, the data that some other people are is going to have or some other companies are going to gather. Uh, and not because we are going to have access for that, but it's going to have it's going to work like in the publisher business. We are going to just lend some space to get through their customers. The thing here probably is going to be more difficult. We are going to have less data about who are who are we targeting. And, and the only information that we're going to have for certain is every time we get a conversion uh, on our home on our website, um, homepage, landing page, e-commerce, you name it. So we'll just have to wait and see to see how this evolves, but it's going to be interesting at least. So to wrap things up, I only wanted to mention two other news. Uh, once, uh, the first one has to do with uh, Super Bowl 55 which is going to happen on February the 8th and about the, obviously, the advertising that goes through uh, the Super Bowl. You know that in the U.S. is one of the most coveted marketing or advertising space that every agency and brand is going is looking for. So uh, a few things that I, I found interesting so far, I have seen some of the ads on our next episode. I mean, not the next one, because we're going to follow the themes here is on how to build your marketing strategy. In the next one, uh, two weeks from now, I'm going to uh, do a review of the commercials uh, aired during the Super Bowl. Uh, but one thing that it was interesting, uh, I mean, companies like Amhauser, Bush, um, decided that they were not going to air any advertising or commercial for Budweiser, uh, one of their brands. Um, and instead, they are going to invest that money with the ad council to run campaigns for uh, vaccine awareness uh, for the COVID-19. I found this interesting because um, obviously a company in a brand like Budweiser that has 
a lot of brand equity, working hand in hand in a situation like this to create and generate awareness about vaccines for COVID-19 amidst, I mean, all this um, pandemic and all this um, back and forth of some people, uh, especially those who may not be convinced enough that the vaccine is going to be safe for them or whatever. Uh, I found it interesting. Um, and it's interesting for me because it aligns or it showcases the values of a brand that I personally didn't uh, perceive like caring too much about uh, the well-being. I mean, obviously, Budweiser's campaign has been always heartwarming, and I mean, it has to do with being good with the family and so forth. But I don't know. I, I, I think it, it, it was interesting. It was uh, kind of cool to see this movement. Uh, and one thing that we have to look, wait and see is how much the investment in advertising is going to change or vary. Uh, this year, because of the COVID situation uh, from 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 last year, and also how are companies going to use that money for reaching out to their audiences? So this is a very um, peculiar moment in time, and it's going to be interesting for uh, for us to see uh, and analyze two weeks from now uh, the approach that many of these companies had. Uh, I'm going to try to have some guests, as I did for the holiday edition of uh, doing some analysis and on and, and some commercials that I have done in Danny Goico. I'm going to try to have someone joining me for discussing this. However, I just wanted to mention this from from Weiser, Budweiser. And the second news, uh, I, I don't know if it's a news. Uh, I mean, it has to do with something that Barilla uh, the pasta company uh, launch, uh, but I thought that it was so clever. Uh, they launched uh, some Spotify's playlist that last the a specific time for you when you put your pasta to cook, so th th so that you are sure you are not never going to forget to pull out the pasta from the water, so it's al dente. So. Um, this is the best example of uh, how to improve your extended product. Also, this is something that I that I tell my students in class. Uh, one of the, the best examples that I have always used in class is Nike. Nike, uh, one of the ways they have keeping proven uh, their, their extended product is through the different apps and different. I mean, they also had some Spotify's Apple Music title um, playlist that can help people to connect with the brand either, even if they are not using any product from the brand. However, they also have the Nike Running Club, the Nike Training Club apps that help to connect with the brand without the necessity or the need to, to own one Nike product. And I think that this is just so clever, so, so clever. So please uh, just uh, go to Spotify and take a look at the players because they really, it's a really, really cool uh, approach to this. So now I'm going to give you my thoughts and reflections on, uh, I've been using Clubhouse uh, for the past week and it has been uh, really, uh, I mean, it has been great, the experience. Uh, at first it was kind of, 
shocking because um, I don't know. Well, if you're familiar with Clubhouse, Clubhouse is this uh, new uh, social media uh, platform that uh, social network that is that would be that it's only based on audio. So it's like if you were talking on a radio show with a lot of other people, kind of uh, using walkie-talkies, but the only difference is that you can overlap others uh, instead of, I mean, just having to wake and break between one another. And it, it has been... Uh, one, one of the things that have amazed me is especially in the Spanish uh, community... Uh, I mean, Spanish-speaking uh, community uh, in the world. It has, because obviously this community arrived later to the social network. I mean, the, it, 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 uh, there's a lot more of English-speaking um, users. Uh, it has given them uh, a really collaborative kind of um, environment where you can find tips, advices, uh, support for any of your actions or your projects. Um, I have given some advices and shared some of my humble knowledge, and I have received also some great advices from people that I didn't know. And that when you do some research, they are doing really, really cool things. So this is uh, great. So I'm starting to uh, schedule some clubhouse um, rooms. I would love for you to join the first one. Uh, I know that this episode is going to air uh, or is going to be online on Monday, February the 1st. On Wednesday, uh, February 3rd, I'm going to host the first, my well, my second room that would be on Clubhouse talking about what is the future that we hope for uh, after the end of the cookies. Uh, I mean, it has to do with some of the news that I have just shared with you today. And my idea is that I'm going to create, not this week, but the next one, uh, schedule some uh, rooms in English for those of you who, who would like to join. Um, I have, I do have some invitations left. So if you like, or if you would like some of them, I'm more than happy to give them away because uh, as of now, you can only... Uh, sign in into the um, network uh, if you're invited by someone else. So if you want an invitation, please uh, send me a message on any of the platforms or any of the social media uh, accounts that I have. And, and, and let's just join the conversation. So that is all for this episode. Thank you once again for joining me and for sticking around. I hope that you have found my reflections on the news interesting. Let me know if this uh, format, uh, do you like it the most? I'm going to try to bring more uh, guests over. Uh, I have been struggling with my schedule, so it's have been kind of difficult for me to find some that fit in, in the right schedule with me. Uh, please, please, if you like the the content, subscribe to to the podcast on any of the of the podcast platform that you may use. Uh, follow me on any social media account um, and leave me every comment. I mean, I just want to make sure that I make the best content possible for you. Uh, on the next episode, we are going to continue with the theme uh, of how to build your marketing strategy. That would be the episode number three out of five. So thank you so much for joining me. Hope to see you soon next week. Please be safe. 
Take care. Lampy out. <laughs>